0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter, and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com bloodyelbowblog, And as always, on BloodyElbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card, UFC on ESPN 47, UFC Vegas 75. UFC Fight Night Vittori versus Cannoneer, going down in Las Vegas, and um, boy, they after that big pay per view card, yeah. I guess we have to expect that the you know the next card afterward is going to be a little watered down, huh?
2: Oh, is this watered down? <laughs> you know, I don't even know why I'm doing this, same, but I'm just going to ask the question: um, which of these which of these fights do you think is a bad fight?
1: Oh, God, you know, it's so hard.
2: These to, athletes.
1: The yeah. Okay, they, so hu- they work so hard.
2: These athletes are working their asses off. OK, they're worth every penny we give them, which is, in fact, how much.
1: Yeah, the five. five a penny, penny,
2: five a penny, penny, a penny, a, piece. a shilling. <laughs> <laughs> they're worth every tuppence <laughs> they earn. Every bowl of porridge. Um. Yeah, this is bad. This is yeah. <laughs> this is bad again. Not that there aren't some good fights on here. There's a couple of highlights, even ones that don't jump out until you research them. Mm-hmm. Not the point. This is not a UFC card. Yeah. I mean, it is now. But yeah. This is not a UFC card. <laughs> there's, there's, there, what was the proportion of uh, like ranked fighters and and and, and stuff that uh, there
1: is on are here? Three ranked fighters i believe um sorry you can vittori cannoneer i don't believe anybody else is ranked on this card yeah uh, it's, somehow it's a- even having three flyweight fights on the card they've managed to not find a ranked flyweight which <laughs> like half <laughs> yes. that division is ranked
2: yeah
1: um so three ranked fighters one fight in the rankings. Mm. I mean, we aren't going to harp on this too
2: long, because uh, we, we do. We, 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 Every time, record. I mean Yeah. At some um, point, that they will break us, is what you're saying.
1: But I am saying, what the hell's up with this Armand Sayukin fight? Yeah. Joaquim they... Silva? Look, I like Joaquim Silva of in course. a in a fun, mid-card-y action sort of way. Absolutely. But if he beats Armand Sayukin, there's no part of me
2: that's like, oh, Joaquim Silva in the contender circle right now. No, it will be, it will be some bizarre fluke. It's not impossible that it happens. There's absolutely no good reason for Armin Serkin to take this fight. Yeah. Other than, I mean, stay busy, busy. get a win, but
1: yeah, but it is absolutely the essence of. Surely water booking, which is this whole card up and down. It's just, you know, Yeah,
2: I mean, surely if you were smart, you would be already angling for some kind of, uh, Tsuruki and Makachev rematch. Mm-hmm. Cause like you have that to build on, you could make that a free fight and release and hype it up and, uh, you know, try to angle for, uh, for a, a, a relatively short path to the title to see how that, that, that rematch plays out now. But
1: I mean, I guess in terms from, so you can, what, what would be smart about it is that he probably just doesn't view Joe Kim Silva as very good or dangerous and oh,
2: he's he should be very i assume he is very heavily favored to win
1: and it's better than at that point than fighting somebody like uh Grant Dawson who is yeah not also not dangerous in fact less dangerous in terms of fight potential fight finishing ability but is also more potentially likely to you know it, is more difficult to beat and so you don't want to actually fight the the rising contender. You want to, if you're going to take a, a a fight outside the top fifteen because you need to stay busy. You want somebody that
2: you don't think is going to challenge you.
1: Yeah, I and guess and that, it's that.
2: Other than the fact that probably if if they paid people more, it would probably make some difference in this regard. We you can't I suppose entirely blame UFC matchmakers for. Uh, the possibility that there there just aren't any ranked people who want to fight Armanzor. Yeah, know, I mean, this this is not the level of fight he should be getting right now.
1: Yeah, it, it, that's what I'm saying. Is that the way the problem the UFC has created, and it is a problem they've created, but it's also a natural problem. It's it's a problem that we see even without the UFC in boxing. They just the UFC has created their own special brand of it. Is it? Ranked fighters are more inactive than ever. They have yeah. learned that the once they get a ranking, that is the only leverage they are ever going to have in their career unless they can get a belt. Yeah. And so you do not, come hell nor high water, ever want to give up a ranking spot. Yeah. And... So that's slow, you know. All the rank, ranked fighters are looking around. And they're like, I don't, you know, are fighting Armand. So you can, not that interested. Thanks. I want to fight somebody up. You hear all the time. Well, who knows? Just give but me a could, guy ranked ahead of me. That's that what I want.
2: Potentially be a silver lining for this whole uh, booking crisis the UFC is uh, going through right now. They're delivering mm-hmm. dog shit cards. But uh, who knows? Maybe that's one small step in the direction of fighters being like, Maybe we should have more control over our contracts and and, yeah. and so on.
1: It, it's something that will eventually slowly creep towards some kind yeah. of success. You know, uh, the uh, we I'll bring this up just because it's out there and there's a, a couple of little conversations going on around it. But like Jorge Masvidal recently released his biggest UFC payday on some podcast. He was talking about recently talked about it and said that his biggest UFC payday was $5 bucks, which was probably for the first Usman title fight, yeah. which sold 1.3 million pay-per-views, pay-per-view buys, supposedly uh, estimated.
2: Which it was means, certainly a very successful pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, a very successful pay-per-view built pretty much entirely off of Jorge Masvidal's uh, stardom. And he got 6% of that, which is laughably poor. That's from not a aspect, large number. Yeah, it, from, from the aspect of any any sort of like understanding of the fight game at large, basically from the idea of it's money that Jorge Masvidal put on the table and this is the cut he got from it, it's very small from the perspective, the other perspective that will has come up and will come up over and over and over again is it's the UFC's money. And this is how much Jorge Masvidal was able to claw away from them. (laughs) It is more than almost any other title challenger has ever been get from the UFC before. So that kind of incremental change is coming out of this, but it is the smallest possible increments. And Despite that success from us all the UFC is retaining more pro- more of its profit margin than ever before. Yeah. Like they're getting 13 per- fighters are getting 13% of the revenue. Mm-hmm. You know? So it is it is very much a uh the road to fighters getting more sell. you know, get, getting more leverage is long and perilous and actually kind of
2: probably moving. Well back. yeah. And fighters the MMA fighters fundamentally do not think uh we're all being underpaid. They don't no, think no. we we are all anything. They don't think of themselves as a potential class of any kind. They think someday I'll be Jorge Masvidal. Yeah,
1: Masvidal was super proud.
2: Yeah. And, well, you know, as he should be. I mean, it's not not taking anything away from a guys individual achievements, but uh, um, you know, yeah, most of you aren't going to be Jorge Masvidal is the is the thing <laughs> the yeah. most,
1: and that is definitely what the UFC has been angling for lately with the contender series. Is yeah, we'll get more guys who make ten thousand dollars anyway. In. Yeah, anyway, anyway, anyway,
2: we got going on, like on this. We uh, got Vitori, we got a Jared yeah middleweight main event, which is like easily one of the best fights on the card, and it's not even all that compelling of a fight. I mean, maybe that's just me personally. Well, cannoneer. I mean, they're middleweight contenders.
1: The problem with this fight is that it is a top ranked like it's one of those fights where you know exactly what this fight is going to look like and it's going to look the
2: same all the way through. Right. And and, and also, the, I mean, there is the fact that who cares about either of these guys potentially fighting Adesanya? Yes, that is also the problem. He, he has cleaned he has cleaned the floor. Uh I, I, I would mop sounds too violent for what he did to them, but he has certainly polished the floor with both of them.
1: Yeah. And the 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 unfortunate thing for Vittori is that his second fight with Adasanya was far worse than his first.
2: Yeah. Not if you so. ask him though, because that was the highlight of that fight with him in the corner. His corner being like, You're losing. And he's like, What? he just didn't believe them that was awesome anyway all right let's talk about it marvin vittori jared Cannonier. um i mean both fighters along a course of uh along a path of development yeah you know um in in pretty small and incremental ways as is usually the case yep marvin vittori um you know, a little better with his defense than mm-hmm. he used to be. I mean, he used to have no defense at all.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. Now he is in there uh, pulling from shots, occasionally slipping and ducking them. It has made him a better counter puncher. And, um, you know, despite all of this, he went in there against a guy who's big and weird and has one big punch in Roman DeLidze and uh, had a pretty close fight with him.
1: Yeah, it's the part of Vittori's game that we had hoped to see develop has not. Which is that we hoped his technique would get clean enough to be to make for a clean transfer of his physicality into his strikes, that he would become a power puncher by becoming a cleaner puncher.
2: No, he is not a power puncher. And, And it is the most Marvin Vittori thing Marvin Vittori could possibly do to have a style which seems to insist that he is a power puncher <laughs> mm-hmm. because he goes in there and gets in people's faces but isn't particularly high output with it. Um, yeah, that,
1: that that's definitely, I think, is his technique has cleaned up. That has become what has happened more instead of him becoming more powerful. Like, there was that turning point he had against Andrew Sanchez. Yeah where he just whooped Andrew Sanchez's ass, really just put the screws to him, hit him hard, threw lots of combinations, beat him up, and it seemed like, oh, okay, this is the turning point. Can Vittori become a power puncher out of this? Can he... Can he put physicality behind this barrage? And he's had some high output fights since then, but it doesn't really feel like the outcome of that was to act, to become more aggressive and more assertive.
2: Yeah. And they're like, I'm going to check the stats just to to see if I'm incorrect about this. They're like reasonably high output fights. Yeah, I mean, I, he, I feel like a guy. Yeah, I mean, against Paulo Costa, that was a five rounder. Yeah. He landed 190 of 346. I mean, that's that's certainly a high clip. Yeah. Um, I think that is by far his highest output fight, at least by a good margin. It still feels like, um in a fight with, like, Roman DeLidze, he, he, because he's not a power puncher, that he is sort of leaving things on the table. I feel like Marvin Vittori should be a swarmer.
1: Yeah, that's where it seemed like he was headed. And instead, what we're seeing in, like, Paul Costa, Robert Whitaker, Roman DeLidze fights against really big top-level opponents, he's having to spend more time on the back foot now.
2: Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, um you know, Marvin Vittori is... <clears throat> technically fairly clean he's extremely consistent he's unbelievably durable we yeah. know all these things and uh i'm sure he thinks he's one of the hardest punchers on the planet but he isn't jared cannonier on the other hand is certainly one of the hardest punchers in the division uh-huh. um, and his path to development has led him to this place where he is now like almost a technical fighter. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. O- almost technical and almost capital T technical. Uh not quite e- e- either. I uh, the thing, the thing with Cannoneer is that I enjoy and appreciate about his fights. I would say appreciate more often than enjoy, to be honest. <laughs> is that he is he is clearly a thoughtful fighter. Yeah. He is in there calculating um and taking notes on what his opponent is doing. And running through ideas, he is not out there just like Vittori, for example, who's much more just plugging away button mashing. Um, cannoneer is out there like trying to find combinations, trying to find and create openings. Um, but there is no system to how he does that. Yeah, there is no system, he doesn't go in there thinking. All right, like I'm going to look for these openings, and everything's going to come off my jab. And uh-huh. I gotta, I gotta get to the right position with my jab, so that then th- that sort of baser, fundamental level of technical skill is not there to back up the higher level.
1: It, it's uh, gonna make some, some, some uh, aged, jaded, uh, long time uh, MMA fan grown but I'm going to just say it. Uh-huh. He doesn't do what Ian Gary did to Daniel Rodriguez. Right. Where Gary was at there, He's like, ah, I'm going to knock him out with the right high kick. Right. And he goes into the fight and he just works on setting up that, that kick. And he tries several different right. iterations and methods to set that kick up over the fight until he
2: lands. That is the, the proper way of manufacturing a KO that you want. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's not what here does.
2: No, it's a lot more like, let's see what the opponent does, Maybe I'll try this, and, yeah. yeah, he doesn't have, like, the small steps, he doesn't have the positional understanding, he doesn't have much of a jab, and he is just incredibly inconsistent. It's like he has MMA, ADHD, that he, uh-huh. like, he will have a good idea that doesn't connect to any of the other ideas he'll have later in the fight. He's just sort of cycling through, and so it leads to a lot of really really aimless fights that surely he would be losing uh and the ones he has lost a lot more clearly if he wasn't a titanic puncher (laughs) yeah um so i mean i suppose that could make for a pretty pretty interesting dynamic here Mm
1: -hmm. i I think uh, it'll be interesting it's just the problem is it'll probably be you know and i i don't want to degrade women's flyweight um, because this isn't like, it, it's really more just the idea that it's a specific. division where it doesn't, you don't have a lot of power punchers oh. in that, in, I, in that I, division.
2: I thought you were going to say it was too specific. You'd rather just degrade women.
1: No, no. Yeah.
2: That's no. what you normally do.
1: That's okay. Look, I, you know what? I'm not even going to joke. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't tie myself to that under any, uh, any circumstances, but my point being that like because there's not a lot of power in that division you get a lot of fights where a tone and tempo is set yeah and the the fighters just have that same exchange over and over and over again absolutely and this is what this fight feels like it's going to be it's going to be the middleweight version of that because Marvin Vittori is so durable right and so consistent with his output and Cannoneer is not a problem solver. He he will he will create ideas, he'll create solutions, but he's not going to just solve somebody. He's he's, not, he's pure not he won't solve
2: somebody. He's purely tactical. Yeah. It's like he yeah, might it's, solve it's not, an it, opening or an exchange or whatever, but he cannot he doesn't conceive of fights as like Something you go into with a plan that you're yeah. working towards the whole time.
1: I mean, you have to you look no further than his fight with Sean Strickland compared to Alex Pereira's fight with Sean Strickland. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Pereira's just like, OK, I'm just going to walk you onto this left hook. At some point, I will set you up and you will walk onto this left hook. Yeah. And he does and he knocks Sean Strickland out.
2: I don't even know if Pereira's plan was all that that specific but he certainly was in there trying to jab strickland up and put an amount of pressure on him so that the mistakes he wanted to exploit would appear and he'd be I ready think, and in position always trying to walk yeah I mean, fair enough I'm not going to praise him as a brilliant man for having a such a, a convenient one-size-fits-all strategy my no. plan against john jones is to hit him with the left hook yeah you know? I, i'm just saying that like sometimes fighting
1: you want to be that like one at all you know you want to be like this is the these are the tools i like to use this is how i'm going to set them up
2: even uh, it's it's a very true thing that even a bad plan even if your plan is entirely because it's just what you like to do and maybe that doesn't always make sense bad plan is better than no plan yeah you can't always find it on the night
1: yeah, and for Canada, the fight he has with Sean Strickland ends up being a super nick, nip tuck fight. Yeah, fought at Sean Strickland's pace because he can do things to hurt Strickland in the moment. He can find a creative idea in the moment, but he's never stopping Sh- Strickland from having the fight Sean Strickland wants to have.
2: Yeah, and yeah. he has no process basically.
1: So yeah, it is really like you look at the Sean Strickland, Jerry Canyon for that. That is a very similar fight to what I expect
2: this to be. 100%. Yeah.
1: And that is a, the kind of fight I'm talking about when I'm saying like a woman's flyweight fight. I'm not, I don't mean it like a derogatory. It just means like you get a set simmer and nobody is going to change that tempo.
2: Yeah. I mean, and women's if, flyweight, uh, is just men's bantamweight. Yeah. <laughs> Like, or not men's, men's middleweight. I mean, men's
1: middleweight. Yeah. There you go.
2: In the same way that women's bantamweight is just men's heavyweight.
1: Yeah.
2: The, these, you know, they they don't line up exactly, but, um, yeah. So the, the parallel is exactly there. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, and yeah, it is, it is frankly, even, even these fights can be good. And even then they're kind of my least favorite kind of fight. I think that's yeah. why I'm not excited for this main event. I just, I see exactly what you're describing. And I'm like, okay, I guess uh, five rounds later, we'll pick someone.
1: Yeah. And my guess, at least, I know you're technically supposed to be picking first, but my guess is, is I'll I'll be picking Jared Cannon here. Yeah. Just like the Strickland fight, even if he gets outworked a little, the, what I have seen from like the, the Marvin Vittori Roman DeLidzi, and yeah. Marvin Vittori uh Paulo Costa and uh Marvin Vittori Robert Whitaker and even Marvin Vittori, Israel Adesanya is that what I'm seeing in these fights is if somebody has power and a consistent idea of how to to apply it, yeah, they can push Vittori out. Out of his fight,
2: yeah. The, the difficulty I'm having is is like the gap between somebody like DeLizze and Whitaker, and yeah, and not even Whitaker, even Paulo Costa. Like that was probably yeah. the last good Paulo Costa performance. Um, and Costa is a pretty. He does he does things that you can work with if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Like he, yeah. I think he he made sense to Vittori. Yeah. This is the Well, kind
1: of there was also just he, a lot of animosity there that I think really oh, helped absolutely. drive Vittori forward.
2: Absolutely. But, but but Vittori has animosity towards the world and everything in it. So Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, probably he was extra pissed or whatever. But I, I also think that Costa's game, first of all, made him fight. There was a lot of pressure there, um, forcing Vittori to either work with it or to pressure even harder in response. Mm-hmm. And... That, yeah, everything Costa does makes a kind of sense. Like, he's not a rote fighter to the same degree that Vittori is, but Costa throws, like, pretty basic kickboxing combinations. Yeah. And Vittori was able to work with that. And then um, you have someone like Dolidze who I think Vittori, if anything, almost had more of, like, a mental struggle with because this game doesn't make sense. Yeah. He's just like, it was all just like vim and power and like just determination to land the right hand again and again. There was no structure or order to it. And Cannoneer is kind of between those two points. Yeah. He's, 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 so, so I don't know. I think (sighs) these are both fights Vittori won. I mean, they are both fights Vittori won. I just think that Whitaker and Adesanya, that's who's beaten Marvin Vittori. I mean,
1: it's true. It's true. It is it is not necessarily... Cannoneer doesn't necessarily have to be on that level, but... Or isn't on that level.
2: He's rather. not on that level.
1: But I think that Cannoneer is more consistent than DeLidzi or Costa
2: in his general... Yeah. You process. know, I'm... We talk about it, I'm not picking Cannoneer for anything resembling consistency. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, If I'm thinking consistent at middleweight... It's Marvin Vittori, baby. I think over five rounds, yeah. a well-conditioned fighter, a phenomenal chin.
1: I'm going to stick with can- uh, Cannoneer. Yeah,
2: I'll take Vittori. You know what? And Cannoneer himself is not that durable. This could nope. be one of those fights where Vittori, like again, he did against Romance gets a key knockdown at some point.
1: Could be. Could be. I think it's going to be a fight where Cannoneer can put the scare in Vittori and can be just creative enough for over enough rounds. It's not a like Cannoneer... We say he's not. Continue- he doesn't go away, though. You know, you look at like the fight Cannoneer had with no. Robert Whittaker. It was a much closer fight than the fight Marvin Vittori had with Robert Whittaker.
2: Well, it was exactly as one sided until about thirty seconds from the final horn.
1: But the pro- the point being that like Cannoneer kept trying to come up
2: with stuff. Well, the Cannoneer has a get out of jail free card. He has power.
1: Yeah. What was and Vittori think- going to do? <laughs> I, but I just, you know, I think it's a fight that I, I expect Cannoneer to keep presenting ideas to Vittori. and I think they'll be interestingly interesting enough and powerful enough that they'll keep Vittori from just running away with it. And if oh, he doesn't yeah. run away with it, I I'm, think the I'm power not
2: predicting Vittori will run away with it. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure he'll just do more.
1: Yeah, I, I think the I think the power will win out, so I'm I'm taking the power.
2: That that could certainly be the case.
1: But it, it it is just like I I expect to see the same round five times over. Yeah. And we're splitting know, hairs. Like, oh, Marvin Vittori landed eighteen strikes that round and Canonier landed fifteen.
2: Yeah. I mean I you suppose know. that worked for Cannonier against Strickland, who's a decent parallel, but I, yeah. I do think Vittori is more reliably the same minute for minute after minute than Sean Strickland. Uh, he's 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 an equal degree of head case, but a very different kind. I think it's very difficult to really dissuade Marvin Vittori
1: yeah i don't know uh that's what i'm less con- i'm less convinced of
2: should try to should try to see uh this guy's nona pull him away from the antipasto. <laughs> impossible <laughs> he persists. He persists. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, Marvin Vittori opened at minus one forty-one. Currently minus one eleven. Jared Cannonier opened at plus one thirty. Currently minus one ten. So we're we're dead even right now. In fact, just after I read those odds, they changed to minus one oh seven to minus one oh three. So
2: yeah, that's fine. Honestly. I yeah. Think. Very coin flippy fight.
1: Yep. And. Like, like we both think, it's just we are going to see one fight and it'll be that fight for yeah. five rounds. It'll be minute to minute, it'll be the same kind of oh, yeah, Marvin Vittori threw two punches, cannoneered through two punches, and or Marvin Vittori threw three punches, near through two punches, and yeah, I'm not sure which ones were better. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe, maybe Ken Nears were a little better, but Vittori landed a couple more of them, you know? Yep. And if Vittori doesn't get hurt, and maybe Can does, or maybe Vittori gets a little more surprised and is a little more on the back foot, and Can gets to be a little more assertive and really drawn thin lines. Yep. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Armand so you can joke Joakim Silva. And
2: uh yeah, they <laughs> Hey, this fight is 50% very high level.
1: Yes. There's a particular kind of fight that Joe Kim Silva can really excel in. And that is a fight where his opponent wants to spend a lot of time out at long distance being worried about what Joe Kim Silva is going to do. That kind of fight, he is fast, he is dynamic, Uh, he is creative in that way that, like... Kind of like Cannoneer.
2: Yeah. And I was just kidding of here, but you know what Canadian I mean.
1: Here is like a self-taught artist who learns to make really pretty good art. Yeah, Joe Kim Silva is like the art student who absolutely refuses to learn anything because they think that they wrote a really good or they made a one good painting once, and now they're like. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I have all the natural talent I need, and you're like, no, you you could really use some fundamental painting
2: skills. I, I think the advantage Silva has over a guy like Cannoneer is, I think he knows that all he wants to do is land the big right hand. Yeah, Cannoneer, yeah. in some ways has hampered himself by sort of confusing <laughs> confusing his his aims in a fight,
1: yeah, hampering himself into being a title contender.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, Canineer is a is a is a. A, a very good fighter, just sort of innately. But yeah. I, I think you know that there are more direct ways to be a knockout puncher. Yeah. And Silva is on the uh, far, far end of that spectrum. He's very direct.
1: He is. He is. That <laughs>
2: he'll be somewhat creative in finding different ways of landing the right hand, but it is all he wants to do. Yeah. You could and... definitely watch his last fight and see that process playing out.
1: Mm-hmm. And um. Yeah, like if you have against guys who feel like they have to respect him or who aren't willing to who can't punish him physically, who can't do yeah. physical fight to him like Ricky Glenn shouldn't have been able to punish Joe Kim Silva physically, but Ricky Glenn doesn't didn't care. He he had no respect. He's just like, "Ah, I'm going to march in there. Yeah, I'm going to make something happen." Uh but, you know, for guys like Jared Gordon and Jesse Ronson, who aren't that physical themselves, and even if, in the case of both of them, they're much cleaner technicians than Joe Kim Silva,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, they just have to kind of hang out and have a range kickboxing battle with him, then Silva is really dangerous. Mm-hmm. But Armando, so you can... Can just bully the shit out of him, yeah, like you watched the fight that can had with uh Demir is yeah, and Demir Ismagulov is you know he's very, much good. more very, very good, he's very good, now it's <laughs> just like i'm not I'm not messing around with anything with you, I am just gonna pin you on the cage, drag you around and yep. make your life
2: hell. Yeah, striking is definitely that most terrifying of things in MMA, which is a an absolutely elite athlete who relies on technique.
1: Yeah. And that is, you know, like that fearlessness and that physical punishingness is just yeah, along with the technique, like Jokeim Silva, he's gonna have to try to catch a flying knee in the first minute. Yeah, and at every every minute after that, he will be a more sapped, less dynamic version of himself.
2: Yep. Now I will say we we I can't even really evaluate it because we never see it. You know, Kim Silva is nominally a good grappler. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean. Apparently he had an exhibition, a grappling exhibition recently, in which he, or possibly a pro grappling fight, in which he swiftly guillotined Neil Magny. I mean, that's not nothing. Yeah. Um,
1: he's but, I mean, he's a great athlete. He's the kind of guy. Who, the okay. guillotine. I remember Tom Grant once telling me that the guillotine is is the, the submission that no matter how good a belt you are, and no matter how bad your competition is, you will occasionally just get tapped by one.
2: Sure. It's not like a. It's not like the top athletes move. I mean, yeah. It's,
1: but it, Mar- I'm just saying, Marcelo
2: Garcia he's has a good dynamic guillotine.
1: enough that, and Neil Magny is submittable enough that I would never be yeah, like, he yeah. guillotine Neil Magny. I can't believe it.
2: But yeah, yeah I it's fine. like I said, I can't even really evaluate it because um, you never see it in MMA, really.
1: Yeah, and he, th- he
2: wants to punch people.
1: And I think if he tried to submit Armand and he would just end up like I. I cannot <laughs> yeah. imagine him keeping Armand Sayukin's grappling pace yeah. for any length of time at all.
2: Yeah, I can't really even picture him easily getting to any positions where he's threatening Tsarukian. Yeah. is not a guy who takes you down and gets stuck in your guard. No. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we spent too long talking about this matchup already, to be honest. It's a layup. Like, it is a complete stylistic layup. Sorokin mm-hmm. is one of the best wrestler grapplers in the sport. And Silva ain't.
1: Yeah. And if it, even if he for some for some reason couldn't get Silva down, he would put a grinding front foot pressure on Silva that would just ensure that Silva almost never got any of his own strikes off.
2: Yeah. I mean, I am. a I am a lot less sold on Sorokian's striking process.
1: Oh, yeah. The process isn't great, but it it would be all aggression
2: yeah, but the, the the main thing for me is he doesn't need that. I mean, yeah. He's yeah. he's a great takedown artist and seriously like he's on, he is on Makhachev's level as a grappler. Yeah. He he went toe to toe with him or I don't know what you call it when they're rolling around on the ground. Crotch to crotch with him. Yeah, yeah. Um for 3 rounds and lost basically because he was less experienced. I mean, he was in there the whole time. Making Makachev work, making him defend, making him adjust. That's yeah. uh, and that was years ago. Like, yeah, he's he's just too good at the thing he does for Silva. This is a gimme matchup, it's a layup.
1: Yep. Uh so you can he opened at minus one thousand is currently at minus one thousand fifty-three. And Joe Kim Silva's opened at plus five fifty-two is currently at plus seven oh eight. I mean, you know, I will say too. Not in defense of the booking overall, but Joe Silva—he's thirty-four. He's been in the game forever. You might as well throw him in. If 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 good fighters are willing to fight him, you might as well let him find out. Yeah, you know? he's
2: never going to contend.
1: No, he's never going to contend. It doesn't make sense in that way. Like if he wins this fight, he's never going to contend. No, but. You might as well I,
2: I personally think this is a misuse of a fighter like Jokim Silva. Probably I, I don't is. I don't see the point of this matchup other than that they couldn't find a better one for Armand Sarukian. It's yeah. it's pointless. Yeah.
1: All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout Armin Petrosian, Christian Leroy Duncan. And um hey, they found somebody for Duncan that won't grapple him.
2: Yeah, that's good news. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean this is a kind of matchup that makes a lot more sense to me. <laughs> sure. This is yeah. this I think is a pretty well booked fight. Yep. Uh it's not to say it's an amazing booking that everybody needs to run out and see, but I get it.
1: Yeah. It it, uh, it is one of those things it's unfortunately more common in the UFC right now and way up the card like it is where it is a perfectly fine and sensible booking between two fighters that could have an absolutely abysmal fight because of how limited their games are. They probably won't. They probably have a fun fight. I think it'll be fun. It could be abysmal and they're taking that chance. Yeah. Because they don't have like, they can't convince more experienced fighters to fight in the apex.
2: Yeah. So, what do these two guys look like? Armin Petrosian, we've now seen a couple different sides of him.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, one is insane durability and mental toughness on display against uh, Hobocop. Yep. And the ability to be in a, a mis- frankly, a miserable fight. I mean, that must have been a terribly, yep. <laughs> terribly dispiriting experience at multiple specific points getting knocked down, getting his face busted up. And uh, and to just be in that kind of fight and keep picking away relentlessly. Did I think it was enough for him to win? It was it was close. You know, a questionable decision, but it's not like he didn't earn uh, the right to be considered the winner of that fight. He fought his ass off and showed a ton of grit and toughness and just, again, plugging away mostly with low kicks. And then we saw that um, very much tested against the best yet version of A.J. Dobson. Mm hmm. Um, where it turns out, like, yeah, here's somebody who isn't just going to overload on things, somebody who isn't going to get too zeroed in on landing one punch or or isn't going to ignore your offense. And there was that, like, sort of, yeah, just novice fighter hitch in Petrosian striking Mm -hmm. that gave Dobson way too easy a time of timing him. That Petrosian is not, uh, again, these are like the basic, the, the positional basics of like how boxing works that many, many MMA fighters paradoxically don't come into until very late in their careers, Yeah, which is like how to work your way into the right distance to set up your strikes, how to get to the right angle to have a clean path to landing on somebody and how these things tie into making yourself a more difficult target. Um, and this applies to, like, higher-level Muay Thai and, and sports like that as well. That That is a level of understanding Tsurikian does not have. And so he just kind of, you know, gunboats his way into range, uh, looks, tries to fire something, you know, a lot of hooks, <laughs> trying to end with a low kick, and... That's it. A guy like Dobson, who is an extremely impressive athlete, who is also reaching a new level of technique, just figured out his timing very quickly and started crushing him with counters for the rest of the fight. Um, Christian Leroy Duncan can pretend to be that kind of fighter for a little while. I, I, I think Duncan has, yeah. I mean, he has good eyes. He has yeah. he has good timing. I think he. Th- thinks he's slicker than he is, which is why a great many of his fights do devolve into brawls. Yeah. He, he's got a bit of Conor McGregor in him, shall we say, uh-huh. Uh where when, yeah, when pushed, he's like, all right, he'll just start throwing down and, and, and uh, will pretty quickly resort to trying to intimidate his opponent with power.
1: He's a, I think he's a he's a very good athlete who is used to people breaking under yeah. the first sign that he's a very good athlete. And so when he has to get to other levels of his game, then it quickly is like, oh, you just have to try to athlete your way through this because you yeah. didn't actually work on this because people usually break before you get to this point.
2: Yeah, he's he's got like he's like the zygote form of the Sugar Ray Robinson thing where, you know, everybody thinks of him as this amazing technician um, but at a certain point in every uh not Robinson uh Sugar Ray Leonard mm. at every point at a point in every Leonard fight basically he just resolves to just punch the other dude's block off <laughs> and and it's like oh okay a lot of this wouldn't work if he wasn't just super powerful yeah um duncan has like i said the barely fertilized embryo version of that exact dynamic um so i don't know i mean I kind of lean Petrosian just for consistency, but I also look at this and know that Duncan is going to land some crushing shots on him just like RoboCop did. Um, Probably very early in the fight. I don't really have a super good read on Petrosian's ability to test Duncan's wrestling because obviously that would be a good idea. Yeah. Duncan's a bad wrestler.
1: He's a bad wrestler, but he's a good at, he's, he's uh reminds me a bit of like Marina Rodriguez.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Where like, he'll give up a couple of really easy shots early. Yes. And then he's a good enough athlete that he will figure it out as it goes and be like, Oh, okay. Like round two or three, you're actually not going to really get me down at all because yeah. I've you know, I, I've taken enough thought about this. I've, I'm a good enough athlete that I've figured out what you're doing when you lean in like this, and I can hop
2: back out. Of right. The way. Yeah. Part of that is his his ability to pick up things as the fight goes on. And part of it is the fact that his general response to anything he doesn't like is aggression. Yeah. Uh, and he will cow a lot of people out of continuing to press early advantages. That's true as well. Um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I... I no, I mean, you know you, what I'll you take...
1: almost sound like you thought Petrosian lost the fight to
2: Dobson, huh? I did. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'll, so I'll, by, I'll... by your
1: measure, Petrosian would easily be
2: zero three in the UFC at this point. Yeah, that that's actually perfectly possible. They've been extremely nip tuck fights. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I will take Duncan. Whatever. Yeah. Because think... Petrosian's not. I don't think he's going to take him down, and that's.
1: Yeah, I don't think Petrosian's going to take him down. I don't think, even if he did, I don't think he would get enough done. I think Duncan would find ways back to his feet and make it harder for Petrosian to take him down again. And I think the big thing here is that if if there's going to be a lot of pocket exchanges in this fight, Duncan is the much more mindful pocket puncher.
2: That's very true.
1: Like he has good eyes for seeing the shots he he needs to land in exchanges that are difficult, you know you you can you see him in fights where you know it, it looks like things are starting to get wild, and Duncan his form and his vision stays tight in the pocket, even if he's still brawling. He's a very fluid, natural striker in tight who doesn't get rattled by
2: it. Yeah, and he's got to be bigger too, right? I mean, that's. Easy. I don't know about that. He's six six, six three Petrosian. I would not yes. guess that. Petrosian's how, six foot three. How tall is Mark Goddard? Is he like six six? He's way bigger than Petrosian in in, in this fight uh, that I had rolling last. Uh. Yeah, he's he, actually an inch shorter than Petrosian. I don't believe it. Yeah, all right.
1: I, I don't know where you found that information so fast, but...
2: Huh? His nope. height? Yeah. No, 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 not not Goddard. Petrosian is 6'0". Oh.
1: Yeah, I can't find Mark Goddard's height anywhere.
2: Yeah, it doesn't matter.
1: He actually has an MMA record, but... Um. There's nothing in it about it. Like topology doesn't have his fight or uh, doesn't have his height and neither does sure dog. You could probably but, go back to one of his fights. Um, yeah. I, I'm,
2: I'm not, in I'm not that, in, I'm not that invested in finding out yeah. Mark got tight point is I'll, I'll take Duncan for more or less the same reasons as you. I trust him to be more aggressive and he's just, cons- po- he's got power. He's powerful. Yeah.
1: Trojan is he doesn't really have power. Yeah, he's got consistency and against people who can't strike, he can dial them up.
2: But yeah, but for all big, that, I've not been really impressed with his performances. On the other hand, they have all been super close. Yeah, he, he is he, kind he, of a Vittori. I mean, yeah. he's a Vittori type, very difficult to just get out of there and look good against. Mm-hmm. It could
1: make for a very difficult fight against Duncan on that point. But I, I got to pick the powerful guy. Who is yeah. comfortable? It, it, like it, it's not like Duncan is just out there, like oh throw, you know. It's not with Joaquim Silva power, where he's just out there throwing wild overhands. And I'm like, oh yeah, well maybe that'll work. But Petrosian's got a good chin, and I think he'll yeah. just outwork him. Duncan gets in the pocket, and he is like a legit. He's much more like uh, Michelle Pereira, you know, where it's like. Okay, this is actually some like ridiculously dynamic, and like the settled down version of Michelle Pereira where the you know i the bad, well, yeah, the the less fun one that actually does that, that doesn't get beat by Tristan Connolly,
2: yeah, boo.
1: But uh, yeah, I think it's enough fight, dynamic fight changing power that Petrosian. Won't really have the easy solution, and it's not nearly so. I'm also just going to sit right in front of you and have the same exchange over and over again that Hobo Cop brought. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. I mean, you know, Duncan, he definitely needs more testing, so this feels like a good test fight for him. Odds on the bout, Duncan is the favorite, opened at minus 159, currently minus 145. Uh, Petrosian opened at plus 123, currently plus 130. So odds getting slightly wider in Duncan's favor. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like, I, I guess they shouldn't be too wide. I'm just not.
2: They shouldn't be wide at all. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I feel like again
1: I feel like Duncan has a pretty high ceiling I
2: don't I don't think Petrosian does, but No, I agree. But yeah. I think Petrosian, as we've said multiple times, is by far the more consistent fighter at this point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Has has given a lot of fighters I thought looked more impressive. Three of them now who looked yeah. more impressive than on the night has given them enough cause to to maybe lose a decision. Like Well two of them. Yeah.
1: He didn't come close against Kyle
2: Pahaya. Right, right.
1: We're not going to have that fight here. No. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Pat Sabatini, Lucas Almeida. And um, this is actually, this is harder for me to call than I would want it to be. Because Pat Sabatini is clearly not made to strike. (laughs) And the more he knows that and the more opponents know that the more difficult it becomes for him to wrestle. Like he spent a whole round on his back against TJ Laramie before figuring, you know, before working through and starting to dominate positions. Yeah. And I don't believe he had all that clean a start against Tucker Lutz either. Did he? If
2: I'm mm, remembering. Correctly. In one of these fights, he got like hurt early. Yeah. it may have been Tucker Lutz of all people.
1: Yeah, he did. He did wrestle Tucker Lutz quite a lot in the first round.
2: Yeah, was it Jamal but
1: Emers who, Jamal who put him? him away early?
2: Did he? Did Jamal oh, no, Emers no, that's tag right. no, Jamal him,
1: him? Hurt him?
2: Yeah, Jamal Emers yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. is the one that hurt him.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: That's right. That's I. I, I thought he lost Emers fight for some reason, but he didn't. Um, Jamal Emers is the one that hurt him really bad early. Yeah, T.J. Laramie out wrestled him for the first round, and then Damon Jackson did just put him away right out of the gate. Yep, And, yeah, I just think there's a consistent feeling that Pat 17 is, is discovering that the very robotic, very stiff power-punching game that he developed early in his career to get him to this point can't actually carry him through in the UFC. Yeah. And it's making him a little more predictable. It's making things more difficult than you'd expect for somebody who is a very good physical wrestler and grappler. And that makes things a little interesting in this fight with Lucas Almeida because I don't think that Lucas Almeida can compete with Sabatini long-term on the mat. No. But he is a very experienced kickboxer who knows how to land dynamic single power strikes. He's a guy who has a lot of faith in his power and the faith in his ability to sit in the pocket and throw something, even if it's to his own detriment. And that could mean that Sabatini can easily walk onto something, you know? Um, I'm going to pick Pat Sabatini because I think the, the grappling disparity is going to be too wide and that Almeida takes too many risks standing to not end up caught up in that game. But it's not a fight that Almeida has really... weird As weird as it is to say, it's not a fight he's ever lost before. It's not a fight he's probably ever really had before. But the fights he's lost, have been, you know, the one fight he's lost in his whole career to Daniel Zellhuber was basically a fight of, of range and volume. And going through an insane war with Mike Trezano, he was able to just keep sitting down in the pocket and knock Trezano out. So I have worries for Pat Sabatini here that he is getting too predictable for his own good and the you know we could end up in sort of a uh, what's the name of um God, who was that great Bosnian prospect
2: oh uh Bektic
1: yeah mean you said Bektic territory
2: you know yeah yeah i don't even i don't even think he's quite as impressive as Bektic honestly yeah Nope, nobody yeah. was out there out wrestling Mirsad Bektich. No, it's true. Um, a, a lot of times Sabatini has to start his. I mean, he's clearly a brilliant grappler, but he has to start from inferior positions and yeah, um, and can be like out positioned and, and kind of has to figure people out a little bit. Yeah, even on the ground where it, the, the only place he's actually good. Um, yeah, he's he's just incredibly awkward on the feet. I mean, I I am I'm basically never gonna pick. A guy like um, a, a guy like Lucas Almeida in a matchup like this.
1: Yeah, that's really where it comes down to for me.
2: Like MMA is and virtually always has been a wrestler sport that is the deciding factor, whether defensively or offensively,
1: mm-hmm.
2: in, in like how successful you're going to be. And Pat Sabatini is a guy who only has one way to win. And I don't think that Almeida has demonstrated um, the level of defense really anywhere. Even yeah, he, no, he's
1: not a good striking. De- he's not good at defending strikes. He's just confident about his ability to sit down in front of somebody and hit him really hard.
2: Yeah, and he doesn't care, which is to his yeah. credit and, and works in his favor in his fights. But, um, yeah, like Sabatini, yeah, he might end up in trouble. But at some point, even, even if he ends up in trouble, as against Jamal Emmers, that is going to lead to some grappling yeah weird stuff happens in mma fights weird stuff is good for a guy with the the big grappling advantage you know like is israel adesanya a good wrestler no but something weird happened in the fourth round of his first fight with uh with uh and it Mm -hmm. led to him being on top for the entire round because he was the one ready to jump on the weird opportunity um, and the more you hurt a guy like Pat Sabatini, the more room you create for just that kind of bizarre avenue to open up. And Alme- Almeida is just not controlled enough. I don't see him gaining any kind of advantage in the feet. that unless he just KOs Sabatini outright, he's going to be able to kind of sit on and work. Yeah. Over the no, that's
1: the really fight. all it is for me, is I could just see him K- KOing Sabatini
2: yeah, ab- out. Yeah, he absolutely could.
1: Yeah, Because Sabatini is so stiff.
2: And... Yeah, he's considerably so, more awkward than Sorokin on the feet.
1: Yeah, like I think one of the big things that may be happening with Sabatini is that he's starting to understand how st- stiff he is and how dangerous it is for him to cross middle distance yeah. with his style and I worry that it's going it's getting him to a place where like he just won't have a functional striking game at all.
2: You know. Yeah. He's going to fill Davis himself.
1: Yeah, that is my worry. So Um, and yeah, I got to pick him against Almeida, but I am starting to be concerned about Pat Savatini that like, he's not a good wrestler and grappler who will develop a bullish striking game that gets him to wrestling and grappling, but that he is a good wrestler and grappler who is learning that he will get hurt very badly if he tries to strike and is going to be more sold out entirely on his wrestling and grappling than ever
2: yeah and then again he can he can get a heel hook yeah after getting knocked down and mounted back mounted and then full mounted and then 15 seconds later yeah he's submitting jamal Emers.
1: yeah if lucas almeida decides to grapple with him and he, he very well easily could if he hurts sabatini if he doesn't knock him out clean then yeah sabatini could easily just start taking them over taking over so I gotta pick Sabatini too. It's not that hard to pick. It's just I'm I'm less trustworthy of Sabatini than I would think I would be. You know, oh, my yeah. my gut pick is like, oh yeah, Sabatini easy. And then I watch tape. I'm like, God, I don't like I don't like the way this guy lives when he's on his feet anymore. Yeah. You know, when he got to the UFC, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, he's stiff, he's awkward, but he pushes forward and he throws big overhands. And now it's kinda like, uh, eh, I don't know. But yeah. I can't I can't just depend on that being the deciding factor.
2: We got a few of these guys right now. Sean Brady, Pat Sabatini. I think there's yeah. a couple others as well, like sort of new school throwbacky wrestle boxers.
1: Well, the problem is I think that um because the meta has shifted so heavily to volume striking that there are, there will always be wrestlers who just are never happy striking. Like that's always just going to be a thing. There are people who are just naturally not good at managing distance or managing their output when they don't have uh, their hands on somebody. And, They're finding themselves having to be in a game that requires them to strike more than ever. Like, there was this sort of happy medium, I think, in the decade, like between 2005 and 2015, or whatever, where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, MMA is a slow paced striking sport that mixes your wrestling and your grappling all together and all that. And it let wrestlers become wrestle boxers who punched primarily, Mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, yeah, okay, you get, you know, your your Jim Miller's out there who grew up. I mean, Jim Miller grew up wrestling, didn't he? I'm not just making that up. I'm sure he did. Yeah. You get your Jim Miller's out there who. uh, Yeah. Who wrestled in high school, who grew up wrestling and they get to become comfortable strikers in this sort of middle slow paced middling slow paced version of mma where mma striking is just not that aggressive yeah and they can match that and now you're getting like no actually you have to be willing to throw like 300 strikes in a three-round fight to compete for the new school guys and it's just like Oh God! How do I do this?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if, if if you're Ben Askren, how do you live in that world? Yeah. And some guys are always going to be Ben Askren. Ben Askrens of the world are out there. You know,
2: <laughs> it's so just, just like a chilling
1: are, thought. Just like kickboxers, there there will always be kickboxers who hate grappling with every fiber of their being. You know.
2: Yeah. We do. We call these people correct. <laughs> Like I already do the cool stuff. Why would I want to learn this pajama shit? Yeah, <laughs> kidding me. So I, I, yeah, I do I the think, cool stuff, which is standing up in pajamas.
1: I, I think that's why we're seeing some of these new sort of yeah, wrestle boxers where it's just like, oh, you actually kind of seem like you're less comfortable on your feet than would make sense for the modern iteration of MMA where everybody's been training this. Everybody knows what the game is.
2: Yeah. You know, it's funneled into a more hyper-focused kind of style.
1: Yeah. Sabatini opened at minus 182. He's currently at minus 195. And uh, Almeida opened at plus 142, currently plus plus one seventy. I think I read the wrong line for Sabatini. Almade opened at plus 142, currently plus 173. Sabatini opened at minus 182. No, I guess I got it right. Never mind. It just looks different on the website for some reason.
2: Yeah. I'm kind of surprised okay. it's so close.
1: Yeah, I am a little too. But maybe it's uh, the line is getting wider, but maybe it's people having my same sort of reservation of like, man, yeah. you just knocked out by, uh, you know, um, Damon Jackson. Like, yeah. Lucas Almeida can hit that hard.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah.
1: And he sells out just as much as Jackson. Mm-hmm. He just Jackson's also a good a good grappler and doesn't have, you know, that that isn't as big a concern for Jackson. Yeah, but it's like the fight ever got there to find out, you know. Jackson just stormed it. Uh, all right that brings us to a lightweight bout, Manuel Torres, Nicholas Mata. And, uh, yeah, I guess (laughs) (laughs) this is a prelim. I I like Nicholas Mata. I had hoped he would develop a lot more with his sort of, uh, shoot the box kind of style. But uh the durability has never been there to really yeah. carry it.
2: Yeah. That is uh I mean, yeah, it's it's like he's he's just like a modern day Vanderlei.
1: Yeah.
2: You know? Not quite as insane. No. Maybe that would uh, allow him to push it to that next level. Yep. But uh, you know, Vanderlei was getting knocked down in every goddamn fight he had.
1: Yeah.
2: Um and yeah, his whole style was predicated on his conditioning and whatever juice he was on and um, how and just his will and determination to not get finished when he got hurt and that he would just come back and go to war and scare the shit out of people. Yeah. And um, yeah, Mata is a little less durable than that or a little less crazy that when yeah. he gets tagged and hurt.
1: That's insane.
2: Yeah, which you know, fair enough. Yeah, Vandalay Silva, had he not found MMA, probably would have been a real life axe murderer. So mm, yeah, Nicholas Mata, congratulations, you're more normal than Vandalay. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just means that it just sort of reads more as fragility. Yeah, at some point you might just get tagged, and I mean, for, often it's, he doesn't even have a chance to recover and come back. He he just gets KO'd. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I also like Modest Game. Like, there, there's a, an element of craft there that I enjoy. Um, yeah. it's, very, it's very typical MMA for, like, a, there to be a level of offensive precision and creativity that is completely unmatched defensively.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But, uh, yeah, offensively. And, and when the defense is working, you know, when an opponent is made nervous and they overswing from too far away or something like that, uh, Mata's a pretty sharp counterpuncher,
1: uh-huh.
2: um, and he's also, like Vandalay, really, really excited when people sort of freak out and awkwardly retreat. He's uh-huh. a very good pursuing combination puncher, uh, like better than most. He doesn't just, like, yeah. lumber forward with awkward shifts. He will put together nice stepping combinations and slide after his opponent firing punches together. Um, that I really enjoy. But, yeah, he just gets hit super clean and doesn't have a great gym. Yep. Manuel Torres is also, I think, has a bit of a knack for counter-punching. Uh-huh. I think he's a lot less structured than Mata.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's much more... Ma- Torres is much more of a... Up, the, the classic upright... You meet me in the pocket, here is a trigger counter that's really hard yeah, and precise, but my whole game is basically just sort of triggered off of, are you close enough for me to hit you really hard? I will try to hit you really hard.
2: Yeah, but there, there is, you know, he, he's creative. Yeah. And... Um, outside of just the desire to just slang hooks at people and bash their 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 fucking skulls open, he like the last shot he landed on Camacho, for example. Yeah, it was really nice. I wouldn't even call that just like a trigger counter because like most MMA fighters, the first kind of counter they come to terms with is uh, what you might call the the chicken counter, uh-huh. the same time counter. Like who's going to blink first? I see you coming in. Boom, we both throw. Um, that was him like. Seeing a shot coming, he didn't slip it. He he pulled. He he drew straight yeah. back, which is never my favorite kind of defense, but that's what he's got. And then came back with uh, two very accurate punches uh-huh. off of the defense. None of this is systematic or or technically good, but um, it did show like a some like higher level understanding of of how to kind of be. He, it showed a level of comfort. Yeah, uh, in an exchange and That's his ability
1: to for him is that he, he can be right there in the pocket with you swinging at him and he's right. he's thinking about what he's doing.
2: Right. He is navigating these wild exchanges that he invariably puts himself in. He's not just, you know, closing his eyes and gritting his teeth and swinging. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, these guys are kind of similar fighters, like they're both um, surprisingly crafty. One of them is, is a very much a mess technically. The other one is fragile and not great defensively. Yeah. Um. They both kind of seem to balance out in that regard. Yeah. I. I, think I, I, I mean, I, is this mean? just another fight in this car where you just lean for the guy with power?
1: Yeah, I got. I got. I right? got to bet against durability.
2: That's. There's been several fights that seem to have come down to that so far. And this is another one where like I yeah, I think Mata has a lot of chances. I think he could put together some blistering combinations on Torres. But Torres is gonna fire back when Mata hits him. Mm-hmm. Like routinely. And that's just, you know, Mata's not Vanderlei. That's not a good thing for him.
1: Yep. Yep. I gotta I gotta pick I gotta pick uh, Torres as well. It's just Mata is not a big enough puncher. All on his own. That if they're gonna if they're gonna sit down and just trade, I expect Mata to come away clearly with the better shot. Yeah. And then if they're gonna sit down and just trade, and he's not gonna come away clearly with the better shot, then Torres is the one who's never been knocked out before. In fact, you know the only time Torres has ever lost is when somebody submits him. And, yeah, I got to ride with that. I got to ride with the guy with the chin who who can navigate a difficult exchange in the pocket and and find something to land. Torres is the uh, favorite here. Let's see. Opened at minus 152, currently minus 164. Mata opened at plus 149, currently plus 147. So, yeah, it makes sense. I don't see anything too wrong with that line. It's close, and Mata is a slight underdog, because he's been knocked out several times now. Yep. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout. Nicholas Dalby, Muslim Salakov. And uh, this is a good fight.
2: <clears throat> yeah, this is one of the good fights on this card.
1: I am a little surprised. I get well, I guess he did just lose to Li Jing I guess I'm a little surprised that Salakov took this, but I guess it feels uh, both men are like just that hair off of the top 15 at welterweight, and unfortunately, probably both of them will never actually see it because they're now both almost 40 you know Yeah.
2: these, these guys both... are the these guys are the meat yeah, they are... MMA. <laughs> just guys who just sort of float around having regular fights
1: they're, they're what I call mid card action fighters and yeah. the incredibly dependable ones
2: yeah I mean they're not always action fighters these guys but they are certainly yeah. mid card mainstays
1: yeah um and uh, this is also tough to call because Dalby is really, you know, he, he has branded himself – in his early days, in his first UFC run, he was sort of like funky kickman karate guy who yeah. had some – you know, who was trying to be like the technical – Martial artist in the cage. And that did not work for him. He quickly found out that he was not athletic enough to stand up to that kind of fight in the UFC. And he left. And when he came back. He rebranded himself as high output, high volume. I will grind and go to war and be indefatigable. He was all, he was always some of that guy, but now it is clearly that is the method.
2: Yeah, it sort of felt like uh, again. It's almost like he he sort of found himself. I know he had like he had three hard losses in a row. Yeah, he had like a publicized struggle with alcoholism. Uh uh-huh. hmm um, and was clearly going through like a deep depression. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's sort of like what I was saying before with um, that difference between like someone like Cannoneer and someone like Joaquim Silva. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Dalby has always been a grinder. But a lot of times in those earlier fights, it had to be drawn out of him by him sort of allowing the fight to get the wrong kind of difficult. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I guess I got to grind this guy out. And I, I it looks yeah, like he's just embraced that. And it turns out mm-hmm. that yeah, he like doesn't get tired easily. He's really physically strong, even if he's not like a super explosive, hard hitting athlete. Um and he just goes to it right away. Yep. and it has yielded extremely good results, honestly.
1: Yeah, it really has. So uh that's bad news for Zalikov because Salikov is not high output and nothing about the way he throws and the style he has can really support him being high output yeah the moves he makes the the style of the techniques that he likes to use they pretty much defy high output striking
2: yeah he wants to hop around and he's a sniper he's a sniper absolutely And does not have a a machine gun in his arsenal. No.
1: But at the same time, if something has ever beaten Nicholas Dalby and continues to beat Nicholas Dalby, it is people that can just be more technical than him. If you want to have a brawl with Nicholas Dalby, or if you don't have a, a better, Go-to striking game where you can create technical openings. Dalby can take a really hard fight, even to the point, like even to the point of beating Daniel Rodriguez, and that's an incredibly questionable win. Yeah, for Nicholas Dalby, but he really just got in Rodriguez's face and made Rodriguez <clears throat> pay for not being a super sharp striker.
2: Yep. Yeah, it feels feels like, I don't know if irony is the right term for this, but the fact that he can, in 2020, go in there and, yeah, at least very competitively fight Daniel Rodriguez, and then one fight later lose to 2021 Tim Means. Yeah. Like an aging, just because Tim Means is like, he's classy, man. He's super sharp, and... And, and be, he does makes perfect sense. He's a very technical fighter. And right
1: before that, too, he lost to
2: Jesse Ronson.
1: He got yeah. overturned to a no contest, but it was a fight he clearly lost. He got club and subbed. Yeah. And it's, once again, like Jesse Ronson liked him means, like these are actually like tight technical punchers who craft very particular <laughs> games around a, a, Openings their opponents give and openings they force out of opponents. Yeah. They can be, both of them can just be clubbed and put away by bigger punchers and better athletes. Like,
2: yeah,
1: you know, but it uh, does,
2: it does speak to Dalby's l- limitations in every specific area of technique that like, it's not like Tim means has never been ground out before.
1: Yeah. I mean, t- Tim means got submitted by Daniel Rodriguez.
2: Yeah. Well, he, you know, it was kind of a club and sub, but
1: it was, it was a club, and sub. but I'm still saying like, you know, Daniel yeah,
2: Tim Begins. means Tim means like he fought Neil Magny and Neil Magny outgrinded him. Yeah. You know, like people have done what Nicholas Dalby wanted to do to Tim means and it has worked. I think it just speaks to Dalby is, I think one of these fighters where, yeah, it, he has to like start pretty strong and kind of keep you on the back foot the whole way.
1: Yeah. And he's and. really not. There's no there's very little <laughs> athletic advantage in his game.
2: Per- he's physically strong, but this is this is hindered by the fact that outside of having good timing on a shot, he's he's not a super technical wrestler either. Yeah, he's he's a hoss. I mean, that has been apparent in these recent fights, but that that will only take you so yeah. far
1: yeah and but it's not even like Magni has this thing where like you'll fight him and you'll clinch with him, and suddenly yeah. you realize you're getting super drained and his clinch is only getting better yeah he's that
2: doesn't really his vampiric to happen. clinch
1: yeah Dolby doesn't really that doesn't really happen with him no he's either
2: you get, you get the, full well, the, first, the full dobby the first full dobby the full Dolby the first time you tie up with him
1: yeah, and you can either Solve that problem, or you will slowly get ground down by it.
2: Yeah, the full dobby—that's what uh, David Mitchell got in that closet on Peep Show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> I don't know. Peep Show fans out there who will get that. <laughs>
1: The five of the, our five crossover fans. Hey, that
2: was a very popular show in England.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, that that does create questions against Muslim Muslim Salikov because yeah. I don't know if Muslim Salikov can solve Nicholas Dalby right away. He might be able to. You know, it's not like Jesse Ronson is some like unbelievable. Grinding pace fighter who can, you know, who can't be out muscled by anybody. Yeah. He just had, he was able to, to time the right, the right counters with Dolby waiting forward early. And Dolby was absolutely, he he had nothing, he he couldn't do anything with it. Yeah. Every time he tried to step forward, he would just get cracked. So might be able to do that. On the other hand, you know, uh, Salakov did get just sort of outworked by Alex Garcia at one point in the
2: who, who it Who it is worth pointing out is actually one of the few like wrestler grapplers he has been matched up with uh-huh. in the UFC. This dude has fought a bunch of many different varieties, but a bunch of people who really like to bang it out on the feet. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Garcia just ran up to him and tossed h- him off his feet and, and smothered him on the ground. I mean, I, I'm favoring Dolby here just because I I don't think, um you know, Dolby can be cracked, he can be hurt. But I don't think that, like, one precise strike at a time and then shuffle around has ever been a particularly good way of beating Dolby. I think you need... You know, like Tim Tim means you need like cons- technique and consistency. You need to be able to keep presenting him with technical issues over and over. Salikov's striking game is is a lot of speed and timing, but it's pretty shallow, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's just the, the only the other thing is like really, you know, I look at that Li Jing Liang loss, and it really was like technical defensive work from Li Jing Liang that was able to overwhelm Salikov as the fight went on.
0: Yeah,
2: but Dolby should just run out there and and mush into him. Yeah, and that is something that has you know what literally since Alex Garcia just not even had the possibility of happening in a Salako fight. Yeah, that,
1: that there was Trent Trinaldo, but Trinaldo is also like the lowest output fighter imaginable.
2: Yeah, and I don't think Trinaldo tried to. I don't recall him trying to wrestle a lot.
1: Yeah, did he even attempt to take down? Let's see. He did not complete one. He attra- he attempted one yeah in the 3rd round and yeah. didn't get it.
2: <clears throat> he just has not been tested with any kind of wrestling attack um since he got swiftly submitted by Alex Garcia.
1: Yeah, I think for my my personal love I'll I'll, I'll take Dolby here, but it you know, it's a difficult fight. I
2: like it for both guys, honestly. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm definitely taking Dolby though. I just think, yeah, grinding is a pretty good approach against a guy like Salikov who needs a lot of time and a lot of space to find those singular moments that'll win him the bout.
1: Odds on the bout: Dolby Salikov is minus one eight, opened at minus one seventy six, currently minus one eighty two. Dolby opened at plus one fifty seven, currently plus one sixty three all right that's gonna wrap us up for the main card for those of you or for those of you who are subscribers stick around though and we'll have some bonus content for you
0: to access the bonus content of this show you must be a paid subscriber to do that go to BloodyElbowPodcast.substack.com and subscribe today